If you feel like your business is drowning in inefficiencies, it might be time to decode the problem and break it down by the numbers. Let's start with 37,000. That's the vast community of business owners who've embraced NetSuite. 25, that's the number of years that NetSuite has been revolutionizing financial workflows and accelerating success. Which brings us to one. NetSuite offers tailored solutions, all consolidated within one streamlined platform. Unlock the power of NetSuite today. Download our acclaimed KPI checklist for free. Just head to netsuite.com slash cbs. That's netsuite.com slash cbs. Welcome to CBS Mornings on this Wednesday, October 27th. I'm Tony DeCoppo. I'm Nate Burleson. And I'm Jerika Duncan. Gail King is off. Around 28 million children in the U.S. are now one step closer to getting a COVID vaccine. That's because an independent FDA advisory panel voted yesterday to recommend a smaller dose of the Pfizer vaccine for children ages 5 to 11. The pandemic has killed more than 700 Americans under the age of 18. Nearly 170 of them were in that 5 to 11-year-old age bracket. Janet Chamlian has been tracking the clinical trials of the Pfizer vaccine in younger children. And she joins us now from Houston. This is big news, Janet. Good morning. It certainly is, Tony. Good morning to you. The FDA is expected to follow the panel's recommendation and grant emergency use within the next few days. This is a long time coming for many parents who fear that their children would become sick. We talked to one family who volunteered their two daughters for this vaccine trial, and they say they hope the shot is the first step in getting back to normal. Out of 18 voting members, 17 voted yes, and we had one An overwhelming vote of approval from the FDA advisory panel of medical experts, finding the benefits for children 5 to 11 outweigh any risks from the Pfizer shot. If the CDC agrees with the FDA and the panel, shots could make their way into children's arms by next week. The two doses, a third of an adult dose, would be given three weeks apart, packaged in a different color and a smaller needle used. Pfizer's study of 2,250 children found those vaccinated were about 91% less likely to develop symptomatic COVID. A Kaiser Family Foundation study found nearly a quarter of parents say they will not get their kids vaccinated. 32% say they'll wait and see. Raleigh residents Jim and Megan Mello enrolled daughters 5-year-old Bridget and 7-year-old Lydia into Pfizer's COVID vaccine trial. We're all tired of being cooped up and, and not really feeling safe going places. They don't know yet if the girls received the vaccine or the placebo, but they're happy they did it. Yay. Jim and I had both had it, just a smaller dose. I think when you kind of think about it that way, it's a little bit, it just seems a little more comforting. The girls are glad too. It was sort of something brave to do and we thought it would keep us safe. That's great. And did it, did you feel all okay about it when you did it? Yes. So I think it's uh, only right that we afford our children the same degree of protection that we afford adults. Dr. Emmanuel Walter helped run the trial at Duke University. He hopes those hesitant will change their minds. Can you suggest a scenario in which a parent may not want to get a child 5 to 11 vaccinated? If you knew that the child may have some, uh, you know, allergy to a component of the vaccine, I think each case, you know, need to be a discussion that people should have with their, their child's health care provider. 
The panel weighed the benefits of the vaccine against rare side effects like myocarditis or inflammation of the heart, and they found that overall benefits outweighed any risk. And in fact, in this in this study of younger children, there were no cases of myocarditis whatsoever. Now, pharmacies like this one across the country, pediatricians' offices, clinics, are gearing up, Nate, to give this shot as soon as next week. As we continue to fight against COVID, our eyes will be on vaccines for young children. Janet, thank you. A massive storm is pounding the northeast for a second straight morning. Torrential rain, high winds, and flooding are reported from New Jersey to Cape Cod. It's a repeat for many areas that were blasted by Hurricane Ida just a few weeks ago. This morning, the storm is very slowly moving out to sea. Mololangi is watching its final impact in eastern New England. Waves pounded the Massachusetts shore overnight. The nor'easters howling near 90-mile-an-hour winds whipping the water over entire houses. Crews cleared the roads of fallen trees south of Boston overnight, but not before some trees knocked down power lines, putting tens of thousands of residents in the dark. The winds uprooted this massive tree on the Cape, slamming it down on top of a car. Luckily, the passenger inside was not hurt. Earlier yesterday, heavy rains put this Ridgewood High School's football field underwater again after it had just gone through costly repairs due to Ida. In upstate New York, a flooded creek swallowed this park, trees and all. And in Manhattan, passengers boarded subway trains as water trickled in from above. Parts of New York, New Jersey and Connecticut all saw more rain yesterday than they typically get in an entire month. Well, as the storm tapers off, we can still expect to see rain and wind throughout the day. And of course, sites like this, down trees all over the place throughout New England, causing hazardous road conditions and power outages. Just here in the state of Massachusetts, more than 300,000 homes and businesses are waking up this morning to no power, Jerica. All right, Mola Lange, thank you. Investigators in Santa Fe, New Mexico, will have more to say today about the deadly shooting on the set of the upcoming Alec Baldwin movie. Cinematographer Helena Hutchins was killed when Baldwin fired a gun that was thought to be safe. A crew member shared this photo on social media saying it's the last picture of Hutchins on the set. Ahead of today's news conference, there are new reports of bad safety practices by members of the crew. Jonathan Vigliotti is in Santa Fe. Jonathan, good morning to you. Good morning, Jerika. The district attorney's office tells us at this point they have not ruled out criminal charges as this investigation continues. Meanwhile, we're learning more about what reportedly happened in the moments leading up to that fatal shooting. According to the entertainment website, The Wrap, some crew members took guns from the set out into the desert and used them with live rounds to shoot at targets. That practice allegedly happened earlier in the day before the shooting. That report also says that that one of those guns was the gun that killed Hutchins. According to police documents, the gun fired by Alec Baldwin was one of three set aside by the armor, Hannah Gutierrez, and picked up by the assistant director, David Halls. Halls allegedly shouted, cold gun on set, meaning it had no rounds inside, before handing it to Baldwin. We still don't know if that gun was loaded with a ballistic round or a blank inside, and why it was declared cold in the first place. We 
do know from a police affidavit that plenty of ammunition was found unsecured on set. Some kept loose, others in a fanny pack. But what type of ammunition remains unclear at this point? We will be asking questions later this morning during one of those pre uh, joint press conferences that will be held here at the sheriff's office, where we expect to learn much more in this ongoing investigation. Nate. Unfortunate tragedy, to say the least. Jonathan, thank you. Facebook and Instagram have been a target for lawmakers on Capitol Hill over the past few weeks. Now Congress is turning to other social media platforms and their potential impact on children and teenagers. Senators pressured executives from Snapchat, TikTok, and YouTube yesterday at a hearing, warning them to do more to protect young users. Chris Van Cleve has the story. Let's get some kisses. Mary Pena likes to keep her girls busy outside and off of social media. She limits apps like TikTok and YouTube to one hour a day and only with supervision after her nine-year-old was shown a video about how to get a boyfriend. I was like, hold up. No, no, no. I don't want you getting any ideas or thinking this is okay or have it affect you in any way. The problem is clear. Big tech preys on children and teens to make more money. In the wake of the 60 Minutes interview with a Facebook whistleblower raising concerns about social media's impact on children, executives from Snapchat, TikTok, and YouTube tried to convince skeptical senators their apps are different. And we're seeking to earn trust through a higher level of action, transparency, and accountability. Snapchat is different. Snapchat was built as an antidote to social media. It's not a defense to say that you are different. If it were your child, what would you do to protect your child? Lawmakers confronted the companies about the dangers social media can pose to kids, content glorifying eating disorders and suicide, bullying and violent challenges going viral. Are you going to get drugs off Snapchat? I assure you, this is such a top priority for our entire company. Dr. Laura Berman's 16-year-old son, Sammy, died earlier this year after taking pills laced with fentanyl that he bought off Snapchat. It is not a sufficient answer to me that they're working. Yeah, that's the bare minimum they should be doing. All three companies pledged to share internal research about their app's effects on children. There is no issue more important than the safety and well-being of our kids online. Several senators are working on legislation to offer better protections to children on social media. But when they tried to pin down the executives as to whether or not they would support those measures, they didn't get clear answers. Now, Senator Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, who chaired this hearing, he has asked Mark Zuckerberg to appear. That would be the first time we have heard from the Facebook CEO since that whistleblower came forward. Tony? Yeah, Chris, everyone seems to agree regulation of some kind is needed, but what should it look like? Thank you very much. We're all parents here. We struggle yeah. to control social media with our kids. Do you yeah. want the government stepping in, though? I don't know. Right. I mean, you almost think of it as I'm doing what I can do at this point, but you realize that it's a tough space to navigate. Yeah, oftentimes people say that being a helicopter parent is a bad thing. Not when it comes to social media. Right. Yeah. Get involved. Know what your children are it's, doing. Yeah, Snapchat as an antidote to Miss Pena speaks for a lot of parents. Wait, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You thought what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, moving on to other news, Britain's Queen Elizabeth will not attend the upcoming UN climate conference in <laughs> nearby Scotland. She is instead following her doctor's advice to rest. Last week, you'll recall, the 95-year-old was hospitalized for a night. Roxana Saberi is in Windsor now, where the Queen, we understand, is still doing some work. Roxana, good morning. 
Good morning, Tony. Well, the Queen was expected to meet President Biden and other global leaders in Glasgow on Monday, but Buckingham Palace says she's been advised to stay here at the castle and rest, performing only light duties. In a statement, the palace says she's disappointed not to attend the UN summit in Scotland. She'll deliver a recorded video message instead. The news comes a day after Queen Elizabeth held virtual meetings from here at Windsor Castle with the ambassadors of Switzerland and South Korea. They were her first official engagements since and she stayed overnight in a London hospital last week. The palace said she underwent what it described only as preliminary investigations and that she was following her doctor's advice to rest. Before that, she'd been carrying out official engagements almost daily. Just last Tuesday, the 95-year-old monarch hosted Bill Gates and other billionaire business leaders here in Windsor. But the cancellation of her trip to the climate conference is sure to raise concerns. Sunday Times royal correspondent Royal Nika told us she thinks there will be a gear change in the kind of work the Queen does and the distances she travels. Nika also expects the Queen's workload to now be under constant review. Jerika. All right, Roxana Saberi for us in Windsor. Thank you. In Germany, a 96-year-old woman is on trial for Nazi war crimes. She's accused of helping murder more than 11,000 people at a concentration camp. Imgard Ferkner was in court yesterday. Prosecutors are racing to bring cases against Nazi suspects who are still alive either in Germany or in the United States. 110 suspects living in the U.S. have been identified for Nazi crimes since 1973, but only five were later tried in Germany. Charlie Daggett is at the court outside Hamburg. Good morning. The defendant is 96 years old. She lives in a nearby nursing home. She's confined to a wheelchair. Yet at one point, she tried to make a run for it and now wears an electronic tag. In short, she wants nothing to do with this trial. Ermgard Fuchner was wheeled into the courtroom to face the charges, accessory to murder of thousands of people, including the systematic extermination of thousands of Jews. Her lawyers say she rejects that she's personally responsible for any crime. But as the secretary to the commandant of the Stutthof concentration camp in Nazi-occupied Poland, lawyers representing victims say she cannot deny involvement. You can't work almost two years in a concentration camp, in an extermination camp, where every day people were murdered without knowing what was going on there. The trial here reflects how German prosecutors are now racing against time in chasing down the convictions of lower-ranking Nazi suspects, thanks to a landmark ruling. In 2011, a German court found John Demjanjuk guilty of being an accessory to murder for being a prison guard at another concentration camp, opening the door for similar prosecutions. Ben Cohen's grandmother survived Stutthof. Her mother did not. She was ripped from her mother's arms as her mother was selected for the gas chamber. Um, and uh, she spent the rest of her life uh, telling her story uh, for those who couldn't. Ben's grandmother, Judy Meisel, passed away last year. He said trials like this are important because it reminds the world of the horrors of the Holocaust while those responsible are still alive. For CBS Mornings, Charlie Daggett, near Hamburg, Germany. Hey, 
Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.